Hello everyone and welcome to the 20th episode of The Bond Brain. I'm your host, Bud West. Recently, we had the opportunity to celebrate Global James Bond Day, celebrating that day in 1962 when the first film, Dr. No, was released. Many of us celebrated in various ways. I didn't do anything major. I had a Monte Cristo cigar, a la Roger Moore, a glass of Macallan, a la Daniel Craig, and that was the way that, you know, I kind of closed out the day. The distinguished gentleman up in Canada had a James Bond Day meeting at a casino. There were other events around the world. If you watched online and YouTube with Dressing Like Bond and the Bond Armor and the Bond Experience hosted a day at NPL, and so various folks around the world uh, celebrated in, in a lot of different ways and even the NPL group linked into uh, another group of guys over in London so all oh, that was pretty cool to watch and um, it was pretty unique and it was uh, it's always a positive thing I think when members of the Bond community get together they organize things like that and hopefully that kind of stuff continues we continue to see that's that stuff and we continue to build the community and build the hobby now All of that got me to thinking about how this whole thing started and why did Bond work? Why did this take off? We all know today why we watch. It's the Bond girls, it's the action, it's the plots, it's the grandiose villains. There's so many things in there that appeal to a lot of us and that's why we watch these movies. But how did it all really start and why, more importantly, why did it take off? I mean, we're talking about 1962. There's no social media. There's only periodicals, newspapers, and magazines. We don't even have, in some cases, 24-7 television channels at that time. So why did it catch on, and why did it really catch on and take off that fast? By the time you get to the premiere of Goldfinger, and you're only talking about a few years later, Bond is already well on the way to becoming the phenomenon that it is today and turning into, you know, the longest-running single-character film series ever. So I started to look into other things, and, and more precisely, not just the film itself or how it was filmed or presented, but what was going on in the world at that time. And I found some things about culture and current events at that time that, that I found to be interesting. And it, it's kind of hard to believe that they didn't in some way contribute to you know, the popularity of the films and the character. Obviously, we're talking about the Cold War, and many people look back at the Cold War, East versus West, and, you know, declare that a victory for the Western powers. But it wasn't always looking like that's the way it was going to go. As a matter of fact, in 1962, it was quite the opposite. The Eastern powers really had the upper hand. They were the first to orbit a satellite. They were the first to put a man in space. I mean, it really wasn't, you know, putting a man on the moon was almost as if it was a come-from-behind victory. They were excelling at things like world chess championships. They were excelling at things like the Olympics, and their sphere of influence was expanding at a relatively rapid pace. Factor that in with the post-World War decline of the political influence of Great Britain. But 
What a lot of people don't realize is though the political influence from the UK had obviously taken a sharp dive down, the British culture or cultural influence the world over was uh, on the rise and considerably on the rise. British novels, British films, art, and fashion were all very, very, very popular at the time. You also have to take into account the sexual revolution of the time and the sort of loosening of morals that was occurring and the influence of women and the way that they approach that subject. I mean, if you look at the very first Bond girl, if you really watch that scene and the subsequent scenes between James Bond and Sylvia Trench, what you really see is her pursuing him. She arises from the, the Baccarat table and follows him. He asks her to dinner. She appears half-dressed in his room later. The, the aggressor, even in that initial film scene, is not 007. Now, a lot of people also don't realize at the time that it was that the movie did not initially receive widespread release. The Global James Bond Day celebrates the release in the UK. There was a limited release in the United States and even in the United States and the rest of the world it was the following May. Now you're talking about October to May before the film really was in theaters worldwide. As a matter of fact, by the time that Dr. No was released in some theaters across the world, they were already filming from Russia with Love. And so I, I have to believe a lot of that plays into the people liking the character, the people getting on board with the character. So we're looking for a hero. We're not winning the Cold War. And here's a Western hero. He's British at a time when all things British are becoming very popular the world over. There's also somewhat of a political youth movement going. You've got a very young British prime minister. I think he was in his mid-40s. You've got a handsome, good-looking young president in the United States. And and. and Trust me, I'm not a fan of the, the, the Kennedy clan in any way. But he did have a huge amount of influence at that time. And then here steps into that James Bond. He's well-dressed, Anthony Sinclair suits, Turnbull and Asser shirts. And I think that that was really, considering the time of period that it was, I think that it was... Uh, the director, Terrence Young, that was brilliant. And, and I know I've actually seen Sean Connery on videos say that a lot of Bond's style was really Terrence Young's style, the director's personal style. But it really hit at the perfect time. And, you know, there's one more factor here that I didn't realize at first. And I, and I say that 1962, I'm an older guy, but, you know, that that's even before I was born. And it was certainly, you know, decades after that before I started to really get into Bond. So when I really looked at other current events and major events in that year, Bond is actually released right before the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's almost a stroke of luck. Western cultures are seeing people we perceive to be evil threatening the West with rockets or missiles in the Caribbean. And it's playing out in the real world 
almost identical. We've got missiles or rockets in Cuba, missiles or rockets in Jamaica. As far as most Americans are concerned, most people from Great Britain and around the world, I mean, everyone doesn't vacation in the Caribbean. It's an area to, to us, almost as if it's its own nation. I mean, we know that that's not really true, but from a generic sense, the same thing is playing out in real life. And it almost makes you think that there's some, you know, some prior knowledge. Clearly there's not. It, it is just a stroke of luck. But I think in many ways, due to a lot of those factors, the younger world leaders, the era of promiscuity, the fact that the Western powers were kind of looking for a victory, fictional or not, and, you know, at the height of everybody's watching all of these rockets and stuff head up into space, there's a there's an outer space component or a sci-fi component to this. And then play into that, that the Cuban Missile Crisis, which doesn't really differ too much. It's almost like at the outset with Dr. No, it, it's the perfect storm for that movie to be a hit. Now that doesn't detract from, you know, all the people that worked on that film and the cinematography and the actors and the actresses and everything, but, you know, there's a lot of things that go into the popularity of a film and before the days of social media and the different ways of marketing things that we have now, I have to believe that it played a, you know, made a strong factor into that film. And that's really all I have to say on this matter. I think that there's a lot of connections between the times and the and the films and i think that part of the reason at least the way i approach it is and look at these films is i think that a lot of their popularity is because we we tend to try to stay relevant um you know i had a friend you know criticize tomorrow never die saying oh it's ridiculous you know the whole newspaper thing but if you've you know a newspaper man trying to control the world or manipulate events and but if you've ever read a biography of william randolph hearst that was all he was trying to do manipulate events through his news sources to sell his papers the consequences of those things really didn't occur to him we look at Spectre. Spectre had a lot of criticism of the films, but it really spoke to a current debate, the surveillance state. I mean, it really spoke to a, a common thread, and we, and we see this through the movies, and I think it really started right off the bat with Dr. No. Some of the movies necessarily don't fall into that, but I, I think that it's had a lot to do with the longevity of the films and the character and uh, of course i hope that you know that that continues that each time we see a bond film it can we can relate it to the times and we can evaluate it based on those times or the setting that it came in not try to apply 20th century uh, morals or thought patterns or 21st century thought patterns back to a previous time it's a way to look at it that i think is the proper way people are a product of their environment i love dr no i actually watch dr no more than i watch any other film so i really look into it quite a bit uh, i hope everyone out there ranks dr no pretty high i know everybody ranks these films in different ways for different reasons but that's my take on the matter i have to believe that that stuff has had some kind of influence on why this whole thing started why this film rocket ship launched in the first place i'm bud west this has been the bond brain thank you for listening and the bond brain will return <laughs>